0: You are listening to Buy the Book because if you don't look at the world through the Bible, you will never see it right. Welcome to Buy the Book. This is Alan Griffith, your host for episode 62. As always, we are glad if you are listening today. We hope you'll tell others about Buy the Book. Uh, Folks are always sharing with me that they are inviting others to listen. So uh, if you're a new listener, we're certainly glad you're with us. Let me tell you where we've been because we're about ready to end uh, our current series. We have been talking about what we are as human beings. Uh, Most people don't understand what they are, Uh, but we are, in fact, uh, the creation of God. Uh, We have not come from uh, uh, an evolutionary experience where we are somehow at the, the, the top of the the list now, the highest of uh, what's been developed through evolution, not that at all. Uh, we are the creation of God. Uh, God made man in His own image and likeness. That's you, that's me. So what are we as God has created us? Well, that's what we've been talking about is as, as human beings, uh, we have a spirit we have a soul, and we have a body. And what got us into our current discussion, or at least what led us to get into the detail of it, is a verse from the Bible. It's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. I'm going to read it to you. It says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. That's W-H-O-L-L-Y if you don't have your Bible open. The very God of peace sanctify you wholly or completely. And I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now we could spend a lot of time talking about this verse today. We have dealt with it in past episodes to some degree. But one thing Paul reminds us of, and I'm going to talk more about this in future episodes, but Jesus Christ is coming back. And uh, I'll be glad when he does. I'm looking forward to it. In the meantime, you and I have to live in this life. And Paul's desire as he expresses it here in verse 23, is that the very God of peace would sanctify you and me completely. It's wonderful to know that God is a God of peace. Now, there are many uh, statements about God and the kind of God he is, truth and light and mercy and So many things that we can attribute to him. But you know, one of the wonderful things about God is that he can give us peace. And the reason that's so important today is because I think fewer people than ever have peace. We live in a world that is in deeper turmoil than it has certainly been any time in my lifetime. And individual people and families are just in turmoil, trouble, heartache, all kinds of problems. And we have a God, the true and living God, who is a God of peace. In other words, he can give us peace. The Bible talks about a peace that passes understanding. When the circumstances are bad and there's no reason humanly to have peace, our God can give us peace. And Paul is talking here about uh, how this happens. He says, the very God of peace sanctify you holy." To, to sanctify means to, to set apart. And he's going to talk to, about the aspects or elements of our being. And he's saying, each part of you needs to be set apart, given to, surrendered to God and then he describes what we are. He says, I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless. In other words, God wants our total being surrendered to him in such a way that we are blameless. Now, we all do things wrong. We all mess up. But the idea is that we live a life that when we do mess up or do wrong we we get it right and with that commitment of our total being spirit soul and body that commitment and surrender of it to god is what opens the door for god to give us peace i talk to people all the time who are in such turmoil heartache heartbreak they need peace Well, we can have peace. And so what we've been doing is talking about what we are. We've talked about the human spirit. You can go back to previous episodes and find it. We have talked about the human body. And we have talked about, or really are in the midst of talking about the soul. The soul is an intriguing part of our being because it's, it's the area of battle and strife and struggle. My soul includes my mind, and so many people battle with their mind. They can't control their thinking. They're thinking the wrong things. They're dwelling on the wrong things, and it defeats them. And then the soul involves emotions, and so many people are an emotional wreck. And then the soul involves the will, and that's what we focused on last time. Because in life, whether we like it or not, we are constantly challenged with decisions that we need to make, choices that we need to make, and then we have to live with the results of those choices. And you know as well as I do, there are just loads and loads of people who are living with the consequences of their past foolish decisions. So God is saying, but, but I, I want all that. I want to guide you. I want to control all that. Well, then there's another area, another aspect or part of the soul, and I want to talk about today. It, it is uh, in, intriguing to me. It's such an interesting part of uh, our being, and it's the, the last part of our soul. And that is the conscience. You have a conscience. It's a gift from God. I have a conscience. Uh, The purpose of it is really to protect us protect us from doing the wrong thing, protect us from saying the wrong thing, protect us from thinking the wrong thing. So, what is this thing, conscience? Well, I want you to take the word apart. And you will see that it begins with a little prefix, con. And then the rest of the word is science. Now, con is a prefix that means with. Science means to know. How does that help me understand the conscience? Well, the conscience is a knowledge that is with me. And its purpose, the purpose of the conscience, is to render judgment, to render judgment on my thoughts, uh, my actions, even my emotions. And the conscience is going to convict me of whether or not what I'm doing is wrong. And if it doesn't, produce guilt in me, then I find a measure of peace that maybe I'm doing what's right. Now, the problem with the conscience is is twofold in a sense. But the conscience, if it's going to judge, and that's what it does, it has to have a basis for judgment. If I'm going to be a judge in any area, Uh, there has to be some basis for the judgment. If I'm going to say that's good or bad, well, what's the basis for making that decision? If I'm going to say, well, that's right or wrong, what's the basis for me making that decision? Because one thing we know, there's all kinds of opinions out there with regard to what is good, bad, right, wrong, and so on. So here I have this personal conscience that is working within me to render judgment on my life. Well, what is the basis for the conscience to operate? And I'm going to suggest to you, and we're going to get into some scripture here in a moment, but I'm going to suggest to you that the basis for the functioning of your conscience are the values and standards of your own heart. Now, think about that you have standards, you have values, you have your kind of foundational beliefs of what is right and what is wrong. And the challenge is when you have to make a decision, is this right? Is this wrong? I have to decide, well, how do I know? Well, ultimately, I'm going to make a decision based on, again, the the values and, and standards that I have. So we're going to come back to that and talk about that. And we need to think about, so where do I get my standards and values? Where have you gotten yours? A second problem area is the conscience itself even if I have right standards and values, I've got this aspect of my being, this conscience that has to function properly. And it's interesting, and we won't spend a whole lot of time with it, but there are various uh, adjectives, if you will, that kind of uh, give commentary on a conscience. For instance, there's uh, the good conscience talked about in the Bible. There's the pure conscience, there's the evil conscience, and so on. So we're going to come back to that as well. So let's go back to uh, the beginning of time, if you will. And you don't have to turn in your scripture back to Genesis, but we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then, if you want to get your Bible open, turn to Romans chapter 2, because we're going to pick up there in, in a few moments. But when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden, they did not need a conscience. And they did not need a conscience because God had put within them what I'm going to call an, uh, an innocence, but also it was a, a positive righteousness. And you know, if they had just followed God's instructions, they would have never gotten into trouble. But they did not. They did not follow what God said. They did not follow, if I may broaden the title for a moment, they did not follow God's word, God's message. If they had, they would have been fine, but they didn't. And so you find them under the instruction of God, and then if you know the story, Satan comes, tempts them, And God had given them a warning that if they violated his instruction regarding the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that they would die. They would die physically. Eventually, they would die spiritually immediately. And when they sinned, all of a sudden, they became aware of their own nakedness. And they got leaves to cover Themselves and they hid from God, and what had happened is all of a sudden there was an awakening of a conscience. all of a sudden there was a knowledge with them that that brought judgment on them, brought judgment on what they had done wrong and so here was the awakening of the human conscience now God had given just one law, if you will, to Adam and Eve, and that law was something they should not do. They were not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Well, once they sinned, while God communicated with mankind, the Bible tells us very clearly he never gave law again to mankind until the law of Moses many, 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 many years later. And as mankind developed, Adam and Eve, and then their descendants, as they developed, as they multiplied in number, they had nothing to govern them as far as right and wrong, other than their conscience. There was built into them a standard. And what happened to them is, They violated the standard of right and wrong. And things got worse and worse and worse and worse. And as you might know, what that led to was a judgment by God. And that judgment came in the days of Noah. And it was a judgment that destroyed every human being except Noah and his wife and his three sons and their wives everybody else was destroyed by the flood. Now, listen, the conscience left to itself will ultimately corrupt a people. Now, everybody has a conscience, but what is the basis for the operation of that conscience? And then what is the condition Of the conscience, and I want you to think about these things in in your life as I wrestle with them in my own life. So I had mentioned you could open your Bible to Romans two, perhaps you have. And if so, I want you to look beginning in verse thirteen, because Paul here gives some interesting testimony about the conscience and how it works and how it works in mankind. So listen to verse thirteen. He said, for not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. So the law in this case is not simply a reference, say, to the Mosaic law, but it's, it's, it's law. Here's a standard of, of right and wrong. And Paul says, well, it isn't just those who hear it that are just before God. It's those who do it that would be just before God, and then he takes us in an interesting direction in verse 14. Listen to it, or follow along with your Bible open. He said, for when the Gentiles—now, who are the Gentiles? Normally, you think of Gentiles as being just the the people different than the Jews. The world has Jews and Gentiles. In this case, it's, it's anybody in the world who has not heard the message of God. It's the heathen, if you will, if you want a broad term. But he makes an interesting statement about them when he says this, for when the Gentiles, the heathen, which have not the law. Now there are millions of people who have never heard the word of God. Not just, again, not just the Mosaic law, the Old Testament, Ten Commandments, and so on but they have never heard the message of God. They're just out there living as individuals, families, nations, whatever it might be. But he said, when the Gentiles, which have not the law, now watch this, do by nature the things contained in the law. Now, you know, if you went to various societies that have had no contact with Bible truth, There are some out there, though they've never heard the word of God, who actually have standards that parallel the word of God. In other words, there are some societies that have never heard anything about God per se, but to them, murder is wrong, or maybe adultery is wrong, or maybe stealing is wrong. So that's people out in the world. They've never heard the law, but they do by nature. The things that are contained in in the law. And then he says this, these, these people, having not the law, they've never heard from God, are a law unto themselves. They've set up their own laws. Why have they done it? Well, they've done it on the basis of this thing called conscience. But now listen to verse 15, it goes on. Which, these people, which show the work of the law written in their hearts. They've never heard the message of God. They've never heard the Bible, but they've got these truths that are parallel to Bible truth written where? In their hearts. And then it says this, their conscience. Yes, they have a conscience. Their conscience also bearing witness. That's Testifying to them, your conscience testifies to you. Don't do that. You shouldn't do that. You shouldn't have done that. Their conscience also bearing witness and, now watch, and their thoughts, that term means their, their reasonings, their thoughts, the meanwhile, accusing or else excusing one another. Now, I want you to think about what's being said there. Imagine a people who've never heard about God, never heard the Bible, but they've got these standards by which their society lives. Well, what's that all about? Where did that come from? Well, it's because there's values and standards that God put on their heart and if they violate those standards, then their conscience bears witness. Their conscience judges them. However, in the midst of all that, something else is happening, and that's their, their thoughts or their reasoning. And their reasoning looks at these things. This is good. This is bad. And their reasoning begins to work, and they try to think about it. Well, maybe that is okay maybe it is okay to steal maybe it is okay to commit adultery well maybe it isn't and they get into this judgment and then the society ultimately ends up with whatever values it might have conscience it's so so interesting because you have a conscience and the people around us have a conscience. And the question is, do I have the right standards for my conscience to make right judgment? And then secondly, is my conscience itself working right? So I want you to think about this for a moment. Where did you get your standards? Where did you get your values? You have views of a lot of things, everything. You have views about business and and life and morality and how a family should be, how a business should operate. You got all kinds of things where you say, This is right, this is wrong. Where'd you get those standards? Where do we often get standards? Well, many times we get them from our parents. We might get them from our peers. Uh, We might develop certain ethical standards because of the kind of business that we're in. Uh, We have moral values. Where did we get them? We get them from the television. We get them from school. Did we get them from church? Where did Where did we get them? Now, the psalmist wrote this. He said to God in a prayer, "Thy word." Have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God? Where did you get your standards? You see, our values, if we're going to have a chance for the conscience to function properly, the first thing I have to have is a solid value system. Now, again, values today are going haywire. Uh, there are people who today <clears throat> would have believed that homosexuality was wrong 20 years ago, and now they think it's right. Well, why? What happened? What caused the standard to change? And we could go into many areas. Where'd you get your standards? Again, if we're going to have a chance for our conscience to work right, in other words, if we're going to feel judged and guilty when we should, then what standards do we have to have? Well, I want to suggest to you that it all begins with going to the scripture and identifying through the Bible, this is right, this is wrong, this is good, this is bad, this is true, this is false. Now, that's important because, again, we find this term conscience in the scripture, and it's really uh defined in many ways, for instance, and we don't have time to go into a lot of detail, but for instance, in 1 Timothy 1.19, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he talks about a good conscience. Now, you and I want to have a good conscience, and it boils down to this. I want to feel guilty when God would want me to feel guilty, not a matter of what other people say, but I want to feel guilty when God would want me to feel guilty. Listen, if that's where we are, that's a good conscience. That's a good conscience. Now, the Bible also talks about a, a weak conscience, and that's mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And a weak conscience is when I feel guilty, <clears throat> but there's no reason before God that I should feel guilty. I feel guilty because of values that I've developed or how other people feel. And so I feel guilty without any spiritual reason, without any biblical reason. Well, there's people who live there. And you and I don't want to live there. You and I want to base our views on scripture so that we can clearly identify what's right, what's wrong. Now, Paul. Also, still, in the 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talked about a pure conscience, and that term really would suggest a purified conscience, and that's when the conscience hasn't been working right. Uh, we violated our conscience. We're going to talk about that in a moment, but now we finally have it back on track, purified conscience. There are things that sometime in my life I didn't think were wrong. And then I studied the scriptures and I found out, wow, that is wrong. God says so. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 22 talks about an evil conscience. And that's a conscience that is just fully corrupted, it has no regard for the teachings of the word of God. It just operates on its own. And we live in a world where many, many people have an evil conscience because they can commit terrible crimes against people and evidently feel no guilt at all. Then the Bible talks about a defiled conscience. That's serious. That's when you and I have standards, but we willingly violate our own standards. Now, Lots of people do that, I guess maybe we've all done that. We did it, we knew it was wrong we we said it we we knew it was wrong. You know what you do at that point is very, very important because one of two things will happen when you and I defile our own conscience, we'll either feel guilt and then we will deal with it, get it right, get it right with people, get it right with God or And we could spend a lot of time talking about this, or we could find someone or something to blame in order to justify what we did wrong. And that's what happened with Adam and Eve. If we go back to the beginning of time, uh, Adam did not accept the guilt that he felt. He blamed Eve for what he had done wrong, and Eve would not accept the guilt she felt. She blamed the devil. And there's a lot of people today, and we can all fall into the the trap where we do wrong. We're not willing to admit it. We're not willing to face it. We're not willing to get it right. And so what do we do? We're looking for somebody or something to blame. Uh, Many times, uh, it's my privilege to work with couples who are struggling And they have each done wrong, and they want to talk about the wrong that the other person did. And they want to justify the wrong that they did by pointing at the other person. Well, I wouldn't have done that if she hadn't done that. Well, I wouldn't have said that if he hadn't said that. Dangerous situation, because was it wrong? Well, yes, it was wrong, but here's why. Dangerous. And one of the reasons it's dangerous is because the Bible also talks about a seared conscience. You find that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. What's a seared conscience? Well, that's the result of doing wrong, violating our own conscience, defiling our conscience, and not getting things right, persisting in doing wrong. We do it over and over and over, and pretty soon, Our conscience is seared. What's that mean? No feelings. We don't feel guilt. Oh, that's a dangerous place to be. Conscience. Well, our time is gone and we're going to move on to another topic in our next episode. But I want to challenge you to think about your conscience as a very important aspect of your soul. Oh, that God would help us to feel guilty when we ought to feel guilty and then give us the grace to deal with it but make sure you have the right values based on scripture or your conscience will never work right. we bless you till next time.